is storytelling from all angles to help you and us answer the call when the muse screams, tell the damn story. We'll be exploring the challenges of being creative in fiction, illustration, comics, film, and nonfiction. Chris, Chris, I know you're traveling somewhere in New Jersey, coming back from a major event. Chris, can you hear me? Chris, are you out there? Alex Simmons, I can hear you. Oh. I can hear you, Alex Simmons, loud and clear. <laughs> yes, I, I do. Sp I speak from the diaphragm, you know, I project. That's right. <laughs> and may I say, for the record, happy birthday, Alex Simmons. Ah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, folks, I am uh, another year older and deeper in debt. No, that's not what I want to say. <laughs> but I am another year older, yes, and glad to be here. Thank you very much. Very glad to be here. Yes, so, considering the alternative, we're both very glad to be here. Yeah, you notice the alternative. People don't invite you over anymore. It's just very odd, you know, antisocial. Yeah. Um, but, Chris, you, the reason why I'm calling out to you, and we may hear some strange sounds in the background, is you're returning, you're literally driving back from an event. Where were you? I was at the Rutgers Writers Conference in uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Ah, Jersey. It's the third year annual conference. I've been to all three. They are fantastic. Anyone in the uh, Jersey, Philly area, anywhere in the tri-state area, um, or who don't mind traveling a little bit, um, you should go to just Google Rutgers Writers Conference and get some information and just make plans for um, next year. <laughs> next year, because it's wrapping up now. I left a little early for a uh, uh, family thing I have to do, but it was fantastic. As a matter of fact, um, I want to give a taste. Uh, one of the things that it does is it helps me flip from the teacher who writes to the writer who teaches because mm. I'm just finishing the school year and over the summer I become full-time, heavy-duty writer, right? So um, seeing other teachers that, um, uh, excuse me, other writers who are involved uh, professionally or successful professionally really allow me to start getting did they have a wide range of, of people, or was it one specific genre? Yeah, usually you get a poet, you get a, um, uh, sometimes non-fictional or uh, historical, you get um, uh, one or two very famous people today. This year it was Neil Gaiman as a spokesman, uh, and... Sandman, uh, and... Uh, and Amy it? Tan, yeah. Yeah, yeah there were a few others. Yeah, wow. Um, but, uh, 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 and then Colum Cullen was there. And he is fantastic as well. So I have a little something to say about those people. Maybe not all of them this uh, episode, but um, I'm going to give a quick kiss to my wife because I just got home. Oh. Hi, I'm recording an episode, so I'm going to give you a quick kiss. Hello. See you later. I will see you later. You go with Tyler. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I wanted to talk about Neil Gaiman. He spoke Friday night. And um, all of us at any level of being creators tend to suffer from imposter syndrome. Imposter you know syndrome, yes. Right. So he tells this great story, and and Neil, if this was purely your um, story and no one was allowed to tell, I apologize. 
don't cast a spell on me. <laughs> um, so he talks about being at a party. I think it was at Santa Fe, um, and it was Nobel Prize winners and Pulitzer Prize winners and Book Prize winners, etc. So um, he felt like a fake. He felt like an imposter. At that time, he had written Sandman, okay? Sandman, which changed the face of comics, right? Um, but he felt he shouldn't be there. He, he was not the same level as these people. Mm. So he kind of just sat to the side, and uh, another Neil came up to him, and they had met at a few different things. This was um, in the early days of Google, and the second Neil starts to tease in Neil Gaiman. And he's, he's, you know, this is back when everyone would have fun by Googling their own name mm-hmm. to see what came up. Right? Mm. <laughs> so uh, this guy, um, second Neil, says to Neil Gaiman, you're number one Neil. When I, when I Google Neil, you're the name that comes up. You're number one Neil. <laughs> so they start laughing and having fun with that. And uh, eventually second Neil says, the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. All these people, all these people have done something. Because I was basically a glorified message boy, an errand boy. I'm not, I don't belong here among these people. And Neil Gaiman says, yes, Neil. But you ran errands to the moon. <laughs> he was talking. He was talking to Neil Armstrong, <laughs> and he says, "If Neil Armstrong also experiences imposter syndrome, then we can all relax about it. You know, we can all know that it's a part it's a of the experience." Thing. Yeah, it's a normal experience. And that was one of the many things I learned this weekend. And that's why I endorsed the going to, going to writing conferences. But in this case, on this week, Bunker's Writers Conference. So there'll be more. I want to digest some. I want to tell something about Amy Tan, something about Colin McCollum. But that's for another episode. What are we talking about today, sir? Now it's time to tell why we're here today to talk about. Um, it's, Good question. It's, why yeah. are we here today? Well, it's funny you should ask. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that's come up, I mean, you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about your experiences about going from being the teacher who writes to being the writer who teaches, um, and myself being the, the writer and a number of other things who also then turns around and teaches, or one of the things that I'm always sort of aware of for different reasons, is how do we learn? How, you know, in particular, how, how, how do creatives learn? And, and do we really need to? And if we do, why? Uh, and how do young creatives learn as opposed to people getting started in that earlier, you know, and being older by this point? Or even how does someone uh, who's been in it for a long period of time how do you learn anything new uh, and empowering or different? So um, that's the question that's out there today as you smash your way through your house. Because <laughs> we can hear it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. smash! 
Yeah, he's green <laughs> now. Yes, I don't understand. Uh, so should we provide answers? I think we should because nobody well, else is sitting here with us at the moment. But well, <laughs> I, I will I will say that this topic today is very timely for me because I just went through an exercise of exactly how I learn. You know, I. After teaching, I turn around and get taught and, you know, remember and, and, and get over myself and listen to others who have done what I want to do or who are doing what I am doing. And uh, there is always um, payment for that. There's always a... Uh, a um, learning experience of some kind. I'll give you one or two from this weekend. Um, Neil Gaiman talks about answered the most often asked question of authors. Right? Mm -hmm. Where do you get your ideas? Mm -hmm. Right? So he answered in the poet a poem that he had written by reading a poem he had written uh, a long time ago, and um, I'm going to mess up the names. So you know it it must be a Sunday because that's uh, <laughs> what I tend to do. Um, but it's the woman who the wife, I guess, of was it Alibaba? I forget. Um, or the wife of the king who had announced he was going to kill her in the morning and in the thousand and one nights mm -hmm. and she tells him a story and oh Scheherazade yes yes thank you mm -hmm. and um, just when they're at a cliffhanger she goes to sleep and you know I'll tell you the rest tomorrow <laughs> and this is how she stays alive well the poem is about her daily life. You know, it opens up with one of the tales, and it's the end of the tale, and she cliffhangers him, and then goes to sleep and wakes up and feeds the kids and washes them, does the dishes, and goes out for the food, shopping for the food, all the time thinking, what happens next? She doesn't know. Mm. But her life depends on it. But in her mind, she can never tell anybody else. But in her mind, she knows that she doesn't know. And she has to figure it out. She has to tell the damn story because her life depends on it. Yeah. And cool. when that time comes, she has figured it out. And then she tells the story and then the next day goes, she's shopping and this and that, and thinking about the cliffhanger she's left, and she sees some carpet for sale, and says, hmm, that's interesting, and some other stuff in her life, hmm, that's interesting, and then that night, she tells about the magic carpet ride, and this and that, and what he's really saying is, our ideas, where do our ideas come from? Life. And why do they come to us? Because our life depends on it. Mm. And it's a beautiful way of explaining 
innovation and and um, artistry. You know, it is it is how it works for us, and other things work for other people. But one of the many things, you know. And interestingly, you know, uh, I mean, I tie that to you know, how do we learn? Where do we figure out how to write? You know, I tie that directly to the answer to that because it's how I learn listening to the others, you know. Uh, as we have discussed on this very episode, you know, I've been going through a bit of a dark time and questioning myself and all that sort of stuff. And then I listen to Amy Tan. Mm. My dark times were fun in the sun oh, compared to Amy Tan's life and times. And she told, retold, uh, you know, a, a shorter version of this, of her life history and her family history. And to answer, you know, how, how do you become a writer? What makes you a writer? And for her, and her answer, and, you know, everybody has their own answer, but her answer was the pain in her life. Mm. That's what, you know, and trying to make sense of it and trying to figure out how things worked and all that. You know, I, I kind of figure that, I mean, obviously, you just said a little while ago that everybody has their own journey and they have their own truth. And all. I, you know, I think some of us come into the world, I really do believe some of us come into the world pre-programmed as storytellers. Whether we get a chance to experience that, become that professionally or just within our day-to-day -day lives, that's a whole other journey and experience. But I know that my childhood, literally my childhood, was making up stories, uh, sometimes getting me in trouble. But nevertheless, that was what I did. There was, I, I can remember moments of being inspired by things I saw on television or something that I heard or read or saw. But I was an only child, and so I can remember times of being alone at home. You know, my mom was in there somewhere, but I mean, I was not with other kids. And I had, you know, my, my action figures, or I had a you know, paper and pencil, crayons and whatever, and I'm making up stories. And some of them, I can remember, were connected to something I saw, or something I heard, or a favorite character. But it wasn't, like, let me repeat that story. It was, it was more like, what if? What if it went this way, or what if that happened, or what if I was in that thing, I was there? You know, and I think some of us, you know, whatever life throws at us, you know, joy or sorrow, I think if we're predisposed to storytelling, it, it simply becomes an influence. Yeah. Amy Tan didn't understand where she, how she became a writer, where it came from. And she eventually, there was um, a teacher when she was a little who said that, you know, she might be some kind of genius. Uh, the details don't matter. Uh, doctor or whatever. And I started working with her and interviewing her and all this sort of stuff. And it was part of this program this teacher was doing, this doctor was doing. And Tan searched her out much later in life to find out what that was like. Mm. You know, because her family was never, ever, ever approving 
They wanted her to be a doctor. They wanted her to be, you know, what they had plans for. Uh, they wanted her to be a doctor and a concert pianist at the same time. Whoa. Brain surgeon, particularly. Yeah. Brain no pressure. Surgeon. No, no pressure at all. And then when she didn't want to be that, when she moved away from that, they were mad at her, particularly the mother. The father was out of the picture at the time. And uh, they told her that she wasn't smart enough and all that sort of stuff. And then she went back to this woman and got some of the interviews. And there's the father. The two of them kept, the mother and father kept talking about the brother. You know, very male-dominant, sexist society that they came from, you know. Hmm. And um, there's this moment hidden within there where... Um, the father says, yeah, Amy uh, used to copy down. She would take the brother's textbook at four and copy down the words and then go to him, what does it say? You know, to learn what, and she was four. She was four. And she was, you know, he was much older. She was taking the textbooks and doing that. And so when she didn't do that, she would write like her own letters and draw things and explain to me what they were. Her imagination was amazing. Mm -hmm. And at this was like six years ago. So, so Amy has been, you know, writing professionally and celebrated as a gifted author for 20, 30 years now. Yeah, you can't that, was the, that was the first time she had heard him say anything about her imagination. So that, that's the thing, you know, you talk about pain that people, some people like Amy went through, and I think of Toni Morrison uh, and some of the others that we've heard about who, yeah, they took that pain <clears throat> and they expressed it through this this talent, this skill, this this thing that they had, this ability that they had, and, and I don't know if that's a part of the healing process or coping mechanism or whatever, but yeah, sometimes we are taught... Excuse me? Probably both and. Yeah. Sometimes we we learn how to express ourselves because of whatever is motivating the need to express ourselves. You know, we've got, yeah, we've got something we have to say, and we, we find a way to say it. And what our, what our world has been. Like you said, you had your absent figures and crayons and paper and stuff like that. And, you know, I've said on the show before... Every every spring, the world would try to kill me, yes. and uh, I would retreat. No, I would, you know, still be able to do is read, you know, and you couldn't help but live in that world. I remember my my oldest brother taking me down to the Super Snipe Comic Emporium. Oh, it was a store. It was in the seventies. A store dedicated only to comics. I had never heard of anything existing which is hilarious today. Um, <laughs> but we went, and everything in that tiny little poorly lit store was comic books, you know? And I remember being so excited on my way that I would, and I would, had rarely been to Manhattan at that time. And I would, this place is, well, maybe this is the Baxter building, and maybe that's Dr. Strange's house. Mm. You know, and my father was, my brother was like, all right, let's not start this stuff, you know? <laughs> but it, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't contain it. You know, it was to me the reality that I had experienced in the pages of the books and the comic books. 
you know, Empire State Building to me. I don't know what everyone else thinks about it. You know, thinks it's there's two things that happened in the Empire State Building for me. Yeah. And I could never know. I never understood why the second one didn't fix the first one. First one, of course, King Kong. Right. Second one is that's where Doc Savage lived. <laughs> right. That's a, he was up on the 86th floor and he had the you know all the stuff. And I'm always thinking. Why didn't he step out and solve the King Kong problem? He was in South Maybe. America at the time. Right. Yeah, I, and, you know, I, I would read the Bantam tri uh, uh, reprints of his adventures, and, uh, and part of it was always, Maybe that was, and I would check if there was a date to try and put together, <laughs> well, he was out of town. That's what right? I'm telling you, he was. He, to I this think, day, he's so pissed that he wasn't in town when the monkey anyway, came. I missed, him, I missed the monkey. And, of course, Pam, she's the monk about it. Yeah. She came for a job interview, you know? But <laughs> and we're dating ourselves. The young ones are like, what the hell are they talking about? Um, let me say this. Let me, just, let me just throw this in because what you're touching on here oh. for me is one of the ways that, that not only you and I, but others learn to do what we do is by doing and by seeing and by reading. Those are the three things that you just touched on. Those are just three of the, the ways, but that's that's definitely a part of it. Repeat that for me. I said that what you just touched on is one of the things that I have down here in my notes about how some of us, like you and I and others, learn to do what we do or learn more about what we do. One of it is by doing, simply doing it, just grabbing the pen and paper and going for it. Another is by what we see and experience in our daily lives. And the third is by reading what we've read and, and, and where that takes our imagination or takes our, 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 our minds in terms of gathering new information. Yeah, you know, one of the most uh, upsetting things for me this year was a student smiled at me and said, Mr. Ryan, we don't read. Yeah. You know, as if... I was the foolish end of the conversation because yeah. reading was like, you know, taking the trolley, you know, or, or, you know, whatever. That's, it's like it's lame. I'm sorry? Like it's lame. Like any, everybody who's yeah, cool yeah. knows you don't, you don't do that. Well, the impression that she gave me was that it was somehow outdated. Mm -hmm. And like, like I was hunting dinosaurs, <laughs> or wondering whether you know what the moon was made out of. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, 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 these are questions that don't even need to be asked anymore. <laughs> you know, the are you kidding me? Yeah, the funny thing is, there's a lot of assumptions made by young and old. You know, and and it continues to amaze me. As well, for instance, people in our age range. What, what are you doing? <laughs> I, I, just, I destroyed a, a water bottle. Okay, just not near the microphone. <laughs> um, the assumption, the assumptions that some people are talking about in terms of young people. They're saying that you know they they only text, uh, they only do this, they don't think that, they're not worried about such and such. And unfortunately, these appear to be people who aren't spending too much time with a lot of young people. I, I am fortunate, like you are, that we're seeing young people. Uh, I'm seeing young people, when I say young people, anywhere from 
from 10 to 21, I'm seeing them on a semi-regular basis, and, and many of the people I'm dealing with, uh, especially my students, are from different countries, let alone different uh, cultural or racial or economical backgrounds. So I know that those thoughts are there, and I also know what popular culture is trying to say to them or is saying to people like me. But I do think that, yes, there is a fall-off of people who are reading as if, why bother? I don't have the patience, the time, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but then again, that's how we get manipulated into only living on sound bites, and then, oh, dear God, who's sound bites? Well, my response to her and to the class, and well, unfortunately, every class I saw the rest of that day, was that, well, you may think that reading is passe, but everybody who you're going to be working for and who can be running your world, they are reading. So if you want to be part of that, if you want to be the boss, if you want to have a voice in the world, you need to be reading all the time, everything. It doesn't at this point in, in, in uh, high school kids' life. The habit of reading is more important than what they're reading. Mm. You know, and um, it shocked them that I would argue with them that they were missing. <laughs> Apparently, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Silvio, who is the magic managing editor and the cat of uh, Seamus Nunzio. Oh. Apparently, he doesn't think I should be recording this episode. <laughs> he just reached up and pulled the headphones and microphone out of my head. <laughs> so... Uh, I think he's probably reminding you that you also have um, uh, another uh, appointment today. And well, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go, so let's move on to the next. Well, then you should uh, tell him that. I'm not the one who pulled this. All right, well, I'm, I'm staying away from him. <laughs> so I was going to say you. that we, we've touched on, again, reading things that we've seen um, and, and, and just doing is one of the ways that, that we like. I, I literally started writing making up stories, as I said, uh, when I was a child, I did not know that I was going to be a writer, period. Um, by the time I was getting out of high school, I was seeing myself as an actor, and I was actually pursuing that, and did, you know, for several years, a lot of stage work, extra work in films, some voiceover work, and so forth. What moved me towards more writing were two things, and I think I've talked about this in other episodes, so I'll keep it short. One is that as an actor, as a, as a, a, a black or African-American actor, there were limited roles being presented, especially on stage. Uh, you were either, people were either trying to figure out how to fit you into something that didn't have in the script officially determined black characters, or you were doing stereotypes. That was one end of the poll. The other end of the poll was angry black men. And so, for me, anyway. And so, um, part of what I started doing was writing material for me to audition where, hey, yeah, I'm still black, but guess what? I'm a black man who does this, or I'm an African-American who's into this kind of stuff. Or my, I'm you know, a black man who will be performing non-angry black man. Yeah, or stereotypical, you know, step and fetch it. So, for right, me, those right, things right. became important 
for me to put out material that reflected the world that I knew existed. And so I did it. I experimented. And that's another form of learning, of looking at what's out there and taking it in and then trying to reflect that through your creativity, whether, again, it's, it's writing or dance or, or whatever other medium you might be working in. Um, but I think you also have to have, and I'm going to drop this one there for you to talk about, is I think in learning, not only do you experiment, now, you know, again, you're, you're learning, you're gathering information, influences, inspirations, motivations from wherever. Now you're experimenting. I know he's eating cookies now. That must be what he's, yeah. I'm, I'm putting away, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, you know what, I, you know how sometimes you come home wired? Yeah. Um, uh, I am wired. And I'm trying so hard to stay still. And then you comment, and I realize I've done 17 things since the last time you politely told me to stay still. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to put you through this a little bit longer, Chris, but not much longer. So anyway, experimentation, taking the material that's inside of you, the things that you want to say, and putting it down, doing it, putting it on the paper, and, and playing with it and working with it and experimenting with it to see what you get, to see how it comes out. I think that's one of the things that we learn from. We learn by doing and by experimenting. And uh, I'm going to add to that that, um, again, this is from this, is from this weekend. Uh, a matter of fact, just today, Colin McCollum, uh, author of Let the Great World Spin, uh, above many others, or uh, among many others, he was talking about write yourself out of yourself, out of your writing, mm. you know? Mm. Uh, you know, people, he, was, he quoted Walt, Walt, Walt Whitman in, in his great comment about being able to hold two contradictory ideas at the same time. Yes. You know, I am contradictory, yes, but I, I, I can deal, deal with that. So he's like, you know, they say write about what you know. I say add to that write about what you want to know write away from yourself to write about yourself you I know think, um, sorry, James Joyce oh, James Joyce was told you know you've been out of Ireland so long do you even can you even write about it and James Joyce said I, I write about it in everything I write <laughs> Well, you know, Aaron, Aaron Sorkin, who created West Wing and, and so much other material, says a similar thing about... Excuse me? Uh, what is the... Um, to Kill a Mockingbird. He wrote the scripts for the, the version of To Kill a Mockingbird that's on Broadway right now. Right, right, exactly. He's, it's written other places, too. The, the, thing, the yeah. thing is that he says... And this is in particular about West Wing, which uh, anybody who doesn't know the series, you know, it followed, you know, the, the White House and the presidents at that time and politicians and all that. So much like uh, some of the other shows that you watch where you, you watch political power in play. But he right. said that he had to be able to write, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm not quoting him, I'm giving you a rough idea of what he was saying. He had to be able to write, let's say, a liberal point of view with as much factual and or emotional content for the character as a, a, a more, you know, sort of conservative or radical point of view. He had to be able to write those opposing characters with genuine authenticity. Right. 
in order for the story to be told. Yes, he had Democrats, liberals, Republicans, conservatives, right. and radicals of each of those persuasions right. on this uh, uh, show, and he had to do it so that you believed, you know? Exactly. Um, I'm going to take, um, again, from uh, Colin McCollum, uh, in, in Let the Great World Spin, he writes about a South Bronx prostitute mm-hmm. works on, under the Major Deegan. And they were, you know, he's taking question and answers, and they were talking about, they asked about, you know, how do you do something like that in this uh, era of accusations of cultural appropriation and everything? And he's from Ireland, you know, he's a short uh, Irish guy writing about a, a Puerto Rican, I think she's Puerto Rican, um, or black, black prostitute in the South Bronx. And um, he says, well, first I talked to cops, but they were all young cops. I was writing about the 1970s. But one thing we learned quickly about the New York City Police Department is it's a family business, you know, their fathers. Mm. So I would go and ask, I would ask them to talk and meet with their fathers. And then I would talk then, and which ones were among you know, cover the prostitutes. Now we talk to those guys and get first-hand information. And then they said, you know, there was this big warehouse that held all of the paperwork for the arrests, the arrest reports, all the reports from that era. So then he went through the channels and researched and found all the prostitutes in that area who got arrested, you know. And, and all their names and, and their, you know, everything. They, you know, the, a form like that or a port of black that will have height, weight, uh, eye color, hair uh, type, uh, skin tone, scars, tattoos, all that stuff. And he would see the patterns and all that stuff. Um, aliases, you know, giggles, honey. One, one uh, alias was Rosa Parks, which shocked the hell out of him. Oh, uh, that someone on the street would call herself Rosa Parks, you know. Um, but it makes me want to know why. <laughs> right. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And all of this is research that fed into one character in the story. Yeah. And then he was he was writing on it. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. What, you know, he started with her history. She came from South Alabama. and uh, It didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. And then all of a sudden he heard a voice in his head say, Skinniest dog, skinniest goddamn dog I ever seen was on the side of a Greyhound bus. Mm. And there she was. There you go. So he wrote her. He had the voice and the musicality of the voice. And he wrote her. But once he wrote her, then he went to sex workers and police who worked at, you know, that area and asked could you read this does it sound right did i do did i um, uh, capture it with respect because then you're not culturally appropriating you're doing your homework yes. you're working very hard to make these fictitious people real and then he borrowed a copy of that book from the audience because they had sold out and he read from her, and you could hear it. You could hear all that work. 
this is this goes this goes very much to you know again you learn by you know the other elements that we mentioned uh but also that you have to make a commitment to growth and excellence you know lazy writing is just that lazy writing and and it should make you uncomfortable if you really want to tell the stories if you really want to write it should make you uncomfortable if you're half stepping on it it's if you don't want to do all that work, if that sounds too much, then maybe you shouldn't be a writer. Maybe that's not what you're calling it. You know, Neil Simon, his reputation, he's the great playwright of the 60s and 70s, uh, the odd couple among dozens of others, right? Yeah, yeah. Barefoot uh, in the park. His reputation yeah. was, this is the guy who couldn't wait to run to the typewriter to rewrite Anyone said anything, was like, I can fix that. I know how to fix that. And it was, it was part of the process. I try to teach my high school students who hate writing essays that they have to rewrite it. They think I'm absolutely insane. But to quote or paraphrase uh, a screenwriting uh, class I was in, their motto was the secret of writing is rewriting mm-hmm. and doing the work. And if you want to, if that's your passion, if that's why you live, if that poem from Neil Gaiman sounds familiar to you, because yes, you walk through the world, half in this world, half in the world you created, then you want it to be as real for everyone else as it is for you. And you have to do the work. And then taking and it's it back, not work, it's love, it's passion, it's right, life. Taking it back to instructional or how do we learn, we learn by doing again. I, th- th- it goes right back to that. I think I will, I will give a couple, some people a pass as if I'm the, the Lord of writing. But I'll give you a pass. There, there, there are folks, there are folks, you know, because they're right, just like anything else, writers, like anything else, there are levels of writers. You know, it's not everybody is, is, wants to penthouse. You know, sometimes folks want the first floor. It's okay. That's not a demeaning thing. So if your writing, which you enjoy, which you love, which you're doing even professionally, is a more simple experience, it's a simpler process for you and simpler this and simpler that, fine. I'm not using the word simple as a derogatory term. You know, I think somebody who's going to write what they consider to be a major opus with, which is going to deal with people that they, a lifestyle they never led, with people that they don't necessarily know, I think then, yeah, you should be doing some serious homework. If you're writing, you know, and I love this book, by the way, if you're writing Nate the Great, and you're doing, you know, fun little little moments, and there's humor, and there's lightness to it, and, and it's, the characters are sort of very basic and simple, but they tell the truth, fine, do that. I think that, again, you, you look at, you look at the kind of material you want to create. You read that material. You become familiar with that experience. What kind of what kind of stories are being told, and 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 really learn from what you enjoy and what you're trying to emulate, and then figure out again what stories do I want to tell, and then I, and then you know do the homework. I would also say one more thing because I feel like I'm I'm rattling on here, but I would also say don't let lack of the education of writing or the, the lack of knowledge of what's the exact structure of writing this or writing that. Don't let that stop you from learning how to tell a good story and then go back in once you understand where the structural problems might be or maybe terminologies are not correct. Go back in and fix those things. And that goes back to what you were saying about rewriting. So I always tell my students, don't, 
feel it because you don't know interior, exterior. You don't know all the fine points of a point of view or what. Tell the story first and then let me help you go back into it and start to now place those structural bars in there that you need uh, or some of the terminologies. I tell young writers, let it suck. Yes, let it suck. That's your favorite. Get that first draft and then passionately go in and, and... and just make it suck less. That's all. It's, a, it's just those little processes. I had a kid, uh, just a wonderful young lady. I, I happened to work with her. And uh, she showed up at the conference, you know. And um, we're talking, and she, she's looking over at uh, Colin McCollum. She's got these stunning blue eyes. And she's looking over, and she's saying, wow, how does he get there? Mm. And I look at her, and, you know, and I point to her notebook in front of her, so. Same way, if you really want to, you can get there. One page at a time. Don't right. worry about, you know, the seven or eight books that he has or ten books that he has and all the accolades that he's had and measure yourself against that. Just about this. Did I do ten minutes today? Yeah. Start with ten. Start with ten. Do the ten minutes. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it being perfect. You know, and then the next day, reread that. And, and fix what you think needs to be fixed. Not that anything is wrong. You just that's part of the process. Mm-hmm. And then, and then ten minutes more. And then I was like, oh, I, I've done fifteen minutes. I've been twenty minutes. You know, and and you're looking forward to it. And you're thinking like like uh, Neil Gaiman was talking about the um, uh, thousand one nights uh, during the day. You're going shopping for the food or this or that or washing the clothes. And you're thinking about what you want to write next, you know, and, and that's how you're a writer. When it's part of your life and when it's it's wired, it's how you're wired, mm. you know. It's not that you won the book a prize or this prize or, you know, it's not how many books were sold. It's that it's, it's, it's adjacent to your heartbeat. It's adjacent to your lung function. You know, <laughs> I breathe. My heart pumps and I write. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's what it is, you know. Um, McCollum, uh, uh, do we have other questions to ask? Well, I, I, was, I, I think, it, you know, we're just like you were starting to do, I think we're starting to round it off here. So there's something I want to say, but you go first. All right. So I'll, I'm actually going to paraphrase. Uh, it's as close to a quote as I could to those writing. Um, <laughs> he was talking about today. And today, with um, accusations and judgments, how can you write this person, how can you write that person, or political divide, all these different um, ways that we are closing ourselves off to each other in society. Uh, He ended with this thought. He said, we are capable of myths in the face of all other evidence. And I took a lot of heart from that that today when so many people want you to shut up and just listen to them and so many people just want to say we're right you're wrong hell with you we have to we have to go the other path we have to go to love we have to go to creativity in the face of all that we have to tend our passions and continue to write and continue to tell stories and lift up, maybe now more than ever. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to share 
that because I, I believe it fits this episode, and I think it's important to say. So there you go. Whoa, what a concept. Pick up a book, a magazine, yeah. a comic. You know, and, and nowadays, you know, the, the public library has Libby, uh, a couple other apps where yeah. you can borrow books for free. Yeah, I have. Been, <laughs> I have one on my it. tablet. I have, you know, you can go to the library without ever leaving your house. Okay, so Absolutely. there's no excuse, right? So that's so reading, instruction. There's nothing wrong with being taught something. You know, with with the students that I work with, especially in screenwriting, there are three, four other screenwriters in the same school, and I tell my students, each one of us will give you what we have to share. Take what is useful to you and build on that. It is not that you should only learn from one person, or God forbid, you're never going to see me again, so what's the point? No. Take instruction and try. You're doing it again, by the way, Chris. Whatever it is you're doing. Uh, you know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm saying to myself, damn, Stan, still not making any noise. Yes, I am. <laughs> we'll, we'll, be, we'll be finishing a moment here. Um, you know, take instruction. That's a useful thing. And even academic instructions, folks. Yeah, we're talking creativity and, and muses and all that stuff. But sorry, learning history, learning, you know, uh, math, learning to read, learning uh, about society and social issues and learning in school, learning what it is to collaborate with other people. That's all instruction that is useful to filter through yourself as an artist. Uh, the last thing I'll I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say, Chris? And learn quickly. <laughs> there, there, well, because you know, there's there was a um, a possibility uh, kind of floated that maybe the government won't let science uh, organizations, uh, climate change organizations, predict further than three or four um, years out. That's one of the things that's on the table now. Well. You know, damage, the real damage is happening in 10 years. So look that up now and find out what's happening uh, before we're not allowed to find out what's happening anymore. Different people influenced me, stimulated my mind, stimulated ideas, and subsequently gave me something to feed on when I went out to start creating my own. So I think, again, how do we learn? By being open to wanting to learn by being open to learning so that we then have 
things to reflect on and share through our own creativity. That would be my answer. Even, even Stephen King says the same thing. Read if you want to write. And now we're going to let Chris go so that he can finish building that matchbox structure. <laughs> Crunchy can. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as we finish, I'm going to be just running around the house. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just have all that uh, energy from a weekend of sitting and learning and listening and, and, and a lot of caffeine and then the highway. Yeah, I'm ready to go, baby. <laughs> then go, go forth and be brilliant, my friend, and we will talk again. And, folks, everybody, please let us know what you thought by leaving your comments in the comments section or emailing us. We provide, you know, ways for you to do that. Uh, with all of our broadcasts. So, you know, thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you all soon. Chris, as always, a, a joy and a pleasure. Thanks for sharing. Right back at you. Love you. Take care, brother. Bye-bye. Peace, brother.